BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome into yet another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. You find us on Twitter at Ethan J. Skolnick, at Chris Whittingham. You subscribe to the pod on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And we are now on to episode number 21, eclipsed the 20-episode mark and the 15,000 download mark. So thanks to everyone who helped us along in that effort. Today, though, we are joined by yet another guest earlier in this week. You can check out our episodes with Jason Jackson. And I forget who our other guest this week was. Do you remember, Ethan, off the top of your head? <laughs> Mike Wallace. Mike, Mike Wallace. Wallace. That's right. That's right. We're, our next guest, though, is eminently not forgettable. That is Jason Leisure joining us at the Palm Beach Post. Covers the Miami Dolphins. You find him on Twitter, at Jason Leisure. Jason, how are you, sir? Good. I, I, based on your guess, I guess I'm the token white guy for the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jason. I, I think we're having perk next week too. So yeah, you squeeze right in there as the token white guy. <laughs> All right. So uh, we wanted to cover the the main Dolphins what news. What episode is this? What episode is this? This is twenty one, Jason. Twenty one. So I'm the twenty first most recognizable name that the two of you know collectively. Well, we we didn't really start bringing in guests until like fifteen. So I'd say yep. you're you're around like six in the power rankings. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, you know. You have like fallen into obscurity, so it's good to hear you back on the air. Also, it's nice to hear Ethan back on the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Do you guys have like a theme? We're already glad we booked you. Was there music that played before this yes, started? Yes, yes. It was. Okay. It's like a little riff of like an instrumental rock song. You guys have yeah, sponsors. It, it's good to hear you've gone through our library. We're we're, we're planning on getting those, although. We're, Right, right now you're hurting us in that regard. Is there anyone, I, anything I shouldn't talk about sponsor-wise? Like, or do you want me to say how much I love Spirit Airlines or anything like that? Right now we're safe in that regard. We are, we are working. We have things in the works. But for the moment. What's the official pizza of the five reasons? Oh, it's definitely well, it's not, not Papa, Papa John's. John's. Yeah, I'll it's definitely not Papa John's. At the NFL, they switched over to the Pizza Hut last week. And uh, it was during the combine. And Pizza Hut brought, like, stacks of pizza hut pizza into the media room and you know like 
sports writers, man, we savages. will eat savages. Anything you put in front of us, I, you know, tepid reaction to the Pizza Hut pizza coming in. Really? What, what, yeah. what is what? What for you I is the, like, what for you is the best of the chain pizza? They're all bad. I, and really, I think the NFL could have two official pizzas. I think they could be like, you know, if they got Giordano's or Anthony's Coal Fire or whatever, they could, that could be the official good pizza of the NFL. <laughs> and then they could also have whatever else. None of them are good, but Pizza Hut, woof, man. It'd be like, it'd be mean, like if they like, had like a, like a craft brewing sponsor and then Bud Light. Yes. When I order Papa John's, we'll say, I go pick it up wearing like a hat and sunglasses. Uh, pizza Cut... <laughs> Free to admit it on this because I know that pretty much no one will hear this. Uh, but Pizza Hut, man, like I don't, I don't even order pizza. I don't even order Pizza Hut like when my wife's not home. I wouldn't eat Pizza Hut in the dark on my couch. Really? I think Pizza Hut is the best of the crap pizzas. Ugh. I think Domino's. Domino's is better than Pizza Hut. Okay. Domino's. All. all have you noticed that all Domino's commercials are about how bad their pizza used to be? <laughs> right. like, oh, we used to and how bad their stores but, used but to now be too. We're not. No, we're not. We, we used to we used to put rats in our uh, pepperoni, but not anymore. Now it's all good. I've, I've, the thing that I've noticed with all these places is that they stop trying to sell you pizza and they start trying to sell you everything other than pizza. And that we're gonna have breadsticks and soda, and here are the eighteen different kinds yeah. of crusts that we have. Yeah. So is that the first of the five topics? Yes. Yes. You, you, you actually one? you copied okay. it right off my notes. All right. <laughs> All right. So what we wanted to do with Jason actually was cover the news of the week as it related to the Miami Dolphins, which were the comments that Steve Ross made outside of a charity foundation event in New York. Uh, oddly enough, it was a Jackie Robinson uh, event, which, you know, given the fact that there was anthem talk after it was kind of surprising. But Jason, where we want to start with you was we want to kind of hit on sort of five different prongs as it relates to the Dolphins right now. And the first of which was Stephen Ross and those comments and how immediately the laundry list of things that the fans have as resentment towards Stephen Ross gets unfurled. Do you think that, first off, he deserved criticism for what he said and sort of all the baggage that he comes into this with is fair? Well, Stephen Ross deserves some criticism for how he's handled this altogether over the last two years. This really started in summer of 2016 with Colin Kaepernick. And the Dolphins have been so back and forth on this issue in a way that makes them look like they can't make up their mind or they kind of want to do something, but they can't because of the public reaction. I mean, Stephen Ross went from being arguably the most outspoken owner in the league in favor of the players that were doing this. And this is the second time now that he has said they're not going to kneel. And then, of course, a day later, he's, well, okay. I mean, I would never tell them not to kneel. For him to say that those, those comments, when he says on a Monday – no players on our team will be kneeling or whatever it was. It was something to that effect. And then he says the next day that was misconstrued. That's, that's not misconstrued. I mean, what do you misconstrue about that? There's nothing to misunderstand. There's no allegation that he was misquoted or anything. It's just it's a continuation of this flip-flopping on a, a pretty important issue, not only to the league and to people watching it, but to the actual employees that work for him. Well, Jason, here, here's the thing about Ross and the comments is that I, I feel like ever since he took over as owner, the Dolphins constantly have to save him from himself in terms of the, the, the things that he says publicly. And, and I'm, I'm going to go back through a few of these. And I, look, we can evaluate his era as a football owner, and obviously that hasn't gone particularly well. But but just the way that he's presented certain things 
to the community. I mean, I, I go all the way back to him saying that Chad Henney was going to be the next Dan Marino. That was a bit of a mistake. Then additionally, um, he said a couple of years ago, and this was 2015, and it's funny because I, I was trying to find it on the Dolphins website, and the actual quote about the heat part of it was scrubbed from that part of the, the website. But what he said here uh, was he said, this was 2015, he says, if you look at our sales and how the fans are responding to that and the excitement, I think the heat is a different organization now that LeBron James isn't there. I think the Dolphins are a team that's kind of capturing the imagination over the whole entire fan base here in South Florida. Now, that season didn't go that well for the Dolphins, that 2015 season. They finished 6-10. and 10. But beyond that, the idea that at the time that he would need to invoke the other popular team in town in order to make his franchise look better seemed very odd to me at the time. And, and there's been a series of these situations. I remember when they had Gator Day at the stadium, which he was warned against when Tim Tebow came into town and they had Gator Day. And the one thing that was said to him by Harvey Green, who was the uh, at the time was running media relations for the Dolphins, he told Ross, he said, just make sure that you don't get photographed with Urban Meyer, because there was a lot of conversation at the time about Urban Meyer replacing Tony Sperano. And the lead picture on Monday m morning in the Sun Sentinel was Steve Ross standing with Urban Meyer, which, uh, again, you know, made Sperano very uncomfortable. So it just seems like he has these public relations gaffes and he sticks his foot in his mouth or, or makes the wrong move constantly here. Yeah, Stephen Ross is very, a very, very smart businessman, obviously. I don't know how you could even begin to dispute that. And I don't think he's done a terrible job as owner. I think he's done a lot of good things uh, as owner and has had a lot of good intentions that haven't worked out. But Man, and I hope he's not listening to this because I hope that he continues to talk a lot, but he's not a good talker. And one of the reasons why they're always on edge about him talking, I mean, it's always very supervised. It's very constrained in terms of time. When he does talk, they try to make it as controlled as possible for the exact reasons that you're saying. And I think if every one of these situations, Stephen Ross just put out a, a written statement that a couple of his guys looked at before it went out instead of actually answering questions verbally, it would be different. It, would be, it wouldn't be so uh, kind of poorly thought out. But you mentioned the, the, the changing position of the Dolphins on this issue, and I agree with you because I think they have probably, in Stephen Ross, one of the more progressive owners in the league in terms of people that want to be behind this cause, and yet I, I, if I were to venture a guess, I think the wavering would stem from his fellow owners and their concern about the business metrics of the NFL right now. So I do think he has to kind of straddle this fence. Well, I, I did a radio show with Dave Hyde where he told me that Stephen Ross was gung-ho about wanting to bring Kaepernick in, but his football people wanted Cutler. But when you kind of look at the way that they've changed on this issue, I think it does reflect how Stephen Ross is kind of caught between what I think he actually feels and wants to express and what I think he feels he has to express in public, which is this joint support with the owners that we need to change the narrative about our league because of what's happened from a business point of view. Well, Chris, it's the owners and it's one other guy, Donald Trump, because True. both times that Stephen Ross has brought this up and said it was last October and it was just this past week, both times when he has brought up not wanting players to kneel, he has also brought up Donald Trump's view on it. So I don't know how close they are. He did say he's in communication with Trump, indicating that they're somewhat friendly. And uh, I'm sure that there's been some message from Trump applied behind the scenes. But Stephen Ross has brought up Donald Trump unsolicited both times that he's came out against kneeling. 
and and that and that is sort of an interesting point because I think his constituency and and look I, I think Trump probably won the PR war on this one because he has this legion of people that will follow him no matter what he says and I think they have kind of won out with the rich guys, with the owners. And I think there probably is some connection between them just by virtue of their dealings in New York real estate. But I, I, it does seem, you know, like how can you straddle the fence of wanting to bring Kaepernick in, starting an organization that's about allowing athletes to advocate for their social justice causes and also say, oh, I talk with the president, I like Donald, and and that kind of and, – and saying in public the, the, the players will stand. I, I agree. He's kind of stuck in two minds right now. Yeah, and the decision to bring in Cutler over Kaepernick, Stephen Ross had kind of uh, advocated on Kaepernick's behalf in general in July, I believe it was, before Ryan Tannehill got hurt, said that he's not being blackballed, that if he – the NFL coaches don't care about that. They want guys that can win. The Cutler decision did not work out for the Dolphins, but I totally understand and buy their logic on it that – at that point, when you're already in training camp with the season less than a month away, Adam Gase wanted a guy that he was very comfortable with, that he had worked with before, that knew the system, that was the same type of quarterback as Ryan Tannehill instead of Kaepernick, which would have been a pretty significant change. Now, if that injury had happened back in March, April, or May during OTAs or minicamp or whatever, and they'd had more time, then Kaepernick would have been more of an option, I believe. I really do think that that was a football decision. Let's get back to the football part of this when we talk about Ross, because, uh, I mean, owners yeah. ultimately are evaluated based on, you know, whether or not their team wins. And, and I think that was, you know, a comment we're going to get into in a little bit more depth here on the pod is is this comment that Ross made additionally to the, the social justice comments where he was talking about Miami not being a very good sports town. Yeah. And the problem for the Dolphins, as I see it, is in part it's, it's, it hasn't been a very good sports town lately because the Dolphins have not been good. I mean, that's I mean, if you look at Ross's era, I mean, since he took over, there was the two. 2008 season where Parcells and that crew went 11 and 5 Ross takes over we know you know Parcells got out of his contract because he was able to get all of his money and leave but I mean you're looking at a team that has won you know no more than 10 games in any season under Ross has won six games what is it twice uh or three times actually been seven and nine a couple of times I mean they haven't been good they haven't been not only have they not been good they haven't been interesting um you know, right? I mean, they, I mean, their offenses, if you look at them, you know, in offensive ranking now, with the exception of 2014, where they, they were 11th in points, you're looking at in points 28th, 17th, 27th, 26th, 27th. So they've been bad and they've been boring. I mean, how much responsibility does he bear for the fact that this franchise has gone sideways to down during his tenure? Well, I don't think it's gotten worse under him. It has continued to be mediocre. I mean, they're somewhere between 6 and 10 and 10 and 6, which is just, I mean, pretty much the same. It's a couple of bounces different. I mean, they're, they're somewhere in that average range, like going back to forever. It's been since Marino that they were a legitimate contender to win the AFC. Not necessarily that they did win the AFC, but that it was a year where it was reasonable to talk about whether or not they could because that 08 team wasn't that. I, the main thing that he has done, which logically is a good move, where he has brought in someone like Mike Tannenbaum. He has brought in a football guy who will make all football decisions. I like that kind of thinking. That's very similar to what the Heat did with Pat Riley. But Mike Tannenbaum is not Pat Riley in terms of decision-making and in terms of respect around the league. It's not working out that way. Yeah, and, and I do I do sometimes wonder if almost the structure of the NFL kind of works against Ross because I think at this point in his life – 
I do think that, you know, given the way that he's spending his money, if there was no salary cap, he would try and buy the championship. If he could not have the constraints of, of the league, but I think within those constraints, it just doesn't seem like he's found the right people. And that's kind of where we can, we can transition into number two in terms of the things we want to tackle with Jason here, which is the hiring of football people. Obviously, the first iteration of it was with Jeff Ireland and Tony Sperano, with Parcells kind of being inherited, but not really in terms of his commitment to him. And then with this next group, with Tannenbaum, with the, with the year transition with, of Dennis Hickey in between, now Adam Gase, do you feel like, Jason, that right now he has the right people? Well, I would say they've got three guys at the top of their football operations. General Manager Chris Greer, he is... His main responsibility is the draft and player development and things like that. And I would say he's absolutely the right guy in that role. He's done very well in that role. They, they have had some good draft picks. It's not, it's not his fault, for example, that he finds this gem in Jarvis Landry in the second round and then Tannenbaum doesn't re-sign him. As far as Gase and Tannenbaum, you know, Tannenbaum's got a pretty long track record and it's not great going back to his Jets days. He's made some good moves, some questionable moves. With the Dolphins, he brought in Kenny Stills, which I think was a great move, and then signed him to a really good contract. They're getting Kenny Stills' prime years coming up now at a really good price. But they're about to walk away from Jarvis Landry, who is they're about to sh- ship him out the door, and he's he's going to be if he stays, he'd be the most productive receiver they've ever had. Also on Mike Tannenbaum's record is some of these signings like Lawrence Timmons that were just Mario Williams. They're just total waste of money. The contract to Indomitian Sue, who is excellent at what he does but probably not a luxury that this team could afford when you could spend a quarter of that money on someone to play defensive tackle and use the rest of it to fill some other holes. So it's been some very questionable spots. I would say that uh, Greer has done great, books out on Gase, Tannenbaum's uh, record here has been pretty shaky. When you mentioned Tannenbaum, we, we did a podcast recently with Chris Kaufman, who uh, studies the team pretty carefully, and, and his point on Tannenbaum uh, has stuck with both of us, which is that it seems like this organization – will reward the guy that it brings in from the outside. In other words, to sort of validate their decision to bring the player in, whether it's an Andre Branch or whether it's a, a, a Kiko Alonso or whether it's, a, again, a, you know, looking ahead, d- d- deciding what they're going to do with Devontae Parker. Mm-hmm. But the players that developed in-house – they seem to make them work for their money and then decide ultimately that they're not worth the money. Um, and, and that's happening with Landry here. It's, it seems like strange thinking in an NFL where you have to be able to keep your own players, get them to your se- their second contracts, and you know be the beneficiary of their primes. It, it doesn't seem like they think that way. And I, I agree with you on, on Sue. I mean, that, that to me is the biggest problem. Sue can be the greatest ever at his particular position, and I don't know that it, in the modern NFL, when teams aren't running up the middle quite as much as they used to be, when they're using shorter passing games, I don't even know that it would have that great an impact on your defense. So, you know, you make a great point, Jason, when you say he tried to hire a Pat Riley, but he's not getting a Pat Riley there. So what would the Dolphins do next, Jason? Like if, if this if, if they have a bad season this year and Tannenbaum's moves don't work out again, I mean, do you go get another grand poobah of the organization to run things how, how or you do elevate chris greer what, what do you do there that's a great question man i don't know the answer to that but it's going to come down to mike tannenbaum or adam gase i believe i mean he's gonna Stephen ross if this season goes bad as last year did if they're six and ten again at the end of 2018 he's gonna have to ask himself well who do i believe here do i believe that tannenbaum's getting the right guys and gase doesn't know what to do with them 
or do I believe that Gase has the right ideas and Tannehill, I mean, Tannenbaum is not supplying him correctly. And I honestly couldn't tell you which one that's going to be. I don't know who where his loyalty is going to I was surprised to hear you, Jason, say that the books out on Gase, you know, made the playoffs first year, then last year, the down year. Uh, Where do you think he's viewed both internally and externally? Well, I think in general, he's viewed as an asset because he has, I mean, I don't think they were that great in 2016 when they went 10 and six and they had a six game win streak in there, but he kind of scrapped some things together and made some things work. And I think if you look at the hand he's been dealt, both of his seasons, he's been switching around between different quarterbacks because of injuries. They have not given him a tight end. They've had massive offensive line problems. Their number one, supposed number one receiver, Devontae Parker, hasn't been, uh, hasn't been that kind of impact player. So that's why it's hard to really judge Gase. I think they, they know that he has good command and respect of the locker room. They know that he is well-liked around the league. A lot of guys, he, his reputation is great. Guys want to play for him and in his offense, but I know I don't know how much that's helped him so far. All right, let's go and move to the to the next thing we wanted to tackle with you, which sort of branching off the idea of Stephen Ross saying that they will stand for the anthem is the whole concept of the Dolphins and their players being involved with social justice causes. We saw three players continue to kneel. It was actually kind of funny, Jason, when we were in the press box, I would be done with my pregame show and we kind of chat for a little bit before a game. You'd say, all right, hold on. I got to go watch the anthem because I got to go see who's kneeling today. And it ended up being three guys for the majority of the year, they being Michael Thomas, Julius Thomas, and Kenny Stills. What have you made of their efforts both you know, during the season and after the season? I'm sure you saw Kenny Stills' Twitter thread of all the things that he's been doing in this offseason, really committed to that work in that area. Where do you see the Dolphins' players' role in actually advocating and creating change? Yeah, Kenny Stills seems like a pretty good dude for being such a bad guy, doesn't he? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a real SOB, that Kenny Stills. Yeah. Chris, look, I think that this is something that needs to be documented. I think a lot of people are tired of hearing about who's kneeling, who's not. There's a lot of reasons why it's worth reporting on it still. And one of them being that those players deserve to be heard. They deserve for their stance that they're taking to to resonate or to at least get to people. And people can decide how they want to feel about it. But whether you're against it or for it, I think you should be informed that it's happening. And it's happening in, uh, you know, America's most popular sport. It's happening on national television, and locally it's happening right here at a gigantic brand in the Miami Dolphins. So I think that's important to keep reporting on it. As far as going forward, the NFL cannot clamp down on these guys' freedom of expression. And I know that I'm kind of taking myself out of the objective journalist part of it, but I've already written opinion columns on this anyway, so the cat's out of the bag on that. I'm totally in favor of these guys having the right to express themselves and to speak up, and I don't find this to be unpatriotic whatsoever. I find it to be very patriotic, because the reason that they're doing this, the reason they're taking this risky stand, and possibly, in some players' cases, risking future earnings, is because they want a better America. That sounds very patriotic to me. You know, it's interesting, uh, Jason. Chris and I did a, a podcast on this, and we were looking at why it is that the NBA's ratings are up whereas the NFL's ratings are down. And, and that, that counters a couple of narratives, uh, one of which is that no sports league can survive with, with everybody cutting the cord, and, and obviously the NBA is, is managing to do that. But the other thing about it is that it strikes me that in the NFL, 
more of the NFL's audience than the NBA's tends to lean conservative. Whereas yeah. you know, the the NBA is a more pro- progressive audience, a more diverse audience. I mean, you you and I both covered both leagues. I mean, you were you covered the Heat. What for? How many seasons was it? Three seasons? Three or four? I don't remember. Right. So I I mean, both of us have experience with both with both leagues, and and the NBA is much more progressive in that regard. And what strikes me is. When you see players use their platform in the NBA, whether it's you know LeBron, I will not just shut up and dribble, or or some of the other players who have taken stands, it doesn't hurt them with their core audience. Their core audience stays with them. There are always going to be people who don't like LeBron, but in terms of the core audience of the NBA, the people who really feel strongly about these issues, the ones who don't want athletes speaking out, are probably not watching the NBA anyway, a lot of them. Whereas in the NFL, again, an audience that tends to be a little more white, a little bit older, a little more conservative. In the NFL, when players speak out, they're sort of there's a core audience of NFL fans that is going to react to that in a negative way where that didn't happen in the NBA. And I think that is part of what... Steve Ross is fighting here because, you know, Steve Ross's team plays in the middle of two counties that actually lean progressive, I mean, which is a rarity in Florida, yeah. right? I mean, and Steve Ross wants his fan base to be younger, to be more diverse, to not just be people who remember the 72 Dolphins as the only success that the franchise has ever had. And that's so so he can't really alienate that core group at the same time as he doesn't want to alienate another core group. And, and what struck me about Ross's uh, comments this week was by doing what you said he did, which was at first he came out against players uh, expressing themselves and then backtracked within 24 hours and said he was misconstrued, he ended up pissing off both groups, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so it just seems like he can't, like you say, he can't seem to find a way out of this. Yeah, and I I think everything that you highlighted about the differences between the NFL and the NBA is correct, Ethan. I agree with all of that. But I think that was coming. I think the NBA overtaking the NFL has been coming for years, regardless of the whole kneeling issue. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of reasons why the NBA would be headed toward the top of the sports food chain right now. And it all goes in cycles. I mean, everybody thinks the NFL has been on top forever. It wasn't on, it wasn't on top in the mid-90s. The NBA with, with Jordan and, and those teams was clearly the king of sports back then. And baseball's had its turn. Pretty much those three sports, you know, rotate. And when you look at the NBA over the last decade, dominating with the younger demographic, eventually those people grow up and they're the ones with the money. I wanted to get back, though, to, to, to the thing that you were mentioning, though, about sort of wanting to document this, wanting to cover this. Because I, I agree with you. I, 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 I was sort of I was talking on the radio the other night about how we just kind of. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, 
wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Went through the whole season and never really smacked ourselves in the forehead and went, oh, so I guess Colin Kaepernick just never ended up on a team then. And I do kind of find it interesting that these protests probably became a a lot less about the noise and a lot more about the message just as the audience was starting to turn away from them. And that's why I agree with what you were saying about Kenny Stills, which was he is so thoughtful and he's done so much real work, and, and that's the thing that I think has become ignored, is that they're doing real and important work in their communities, right along with police. Uh, we, we saw Kenny Stills on social media documenting going to a women's march, going to all these you know histor- historical landmarks in the search for suffrage for black people and for equal rights. All these things that are real and thoughtful and legitimate and deserve attention, and yet they started to happen just as I think people started to get fed up with it. All of these guys with the Dolphins, and I can't speak for everyone around the league, but I've certainly observed what Colin Kaepernick has done. They're doing more than just kneeling on the sideline, as you mentioned. They're going and doing real work and giving of their time. Kenny Stills, for example, is almost unreachable on a Tuesday. The Dolphins have said this, and that's their off day every week. They can't get a hold of him until... You know, if they text him or call him during the day, they won't get a, a return call or text from him till 7 or 8 o'clock at night because he spends his entire off day every week in the community helping, uh, you know, after-school programs and other nonprofits and doing work with police. And all of those guys have been doing that. And they've all been very articulate and willing to talk about the message behind their stance. So I don't know what else you want from these guys. Their actions are following what they're doing on on the sideline during those anthems. How have you found people react to Kenny Stills? Well, I think it helps that he's played very well. I think with any of these guys, the better you're playing, the more uh, tolerable you are to people who disagree with you. But I think Kenny Stills is pretty popular. He's extremely popular in that locker room. He's looked at as one of the grown-ups in that locker room, one of the leaders, uh, the more experienced guys, even though I think he's only 25 or 26. And uh, as far as fans... I don't find there to be a lot of negative reaction locally to Kenny Stills. The thing is always when they kneel. 
anytime you write about them kneeling, you get a ton of backlash, and then you get a little bit from the other side that's in favor of it, and it wouldn't matter who was kneeling. They're going to smear those guys. But I'm pretty sure if you took a poll in South Florida what the people think of Kenny Stills, he would score pretty well. Well, the thing about it, too, is you mentioned it's okay if you're playing well, right? And so I wonder why this hasn't changed the debate. The fact that the Philadelphia Eagles, which you can argue were the most socially active uh, uh, team in the entire NFL. I mean, between what Malcolm Jenkins was doing and Chris Long and some of the others— and, and now we see they just traded for Michael Bennett. So that's going to add a whole nother element to this. Yeah. But they, they were out there and it didn't stop them from winning a Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. Right. I mean, so this argument that that I've seen put out there a lot of times, like with the 49ers, it was it was popular to say, well, and they're a terrible, terrible team. Right. And that's uh, Kaepernick did that. Well, no, I mean, they were a terrible team because they didn't have a replacement for Kaepernick at quarterback yeah. after Kaepernick left. And then they found a replacement. They won five straight games at the end of the year. I just wonder why there's this disconnect in terms of trying to associate the way a team is playing with whether or not they're doing things in the community. I mean, these guys can do both. As you mentioned, they get Tuesdays off during the week. And that typically, and when I covered the Dolphins, uh, you would see you know 20 or 30 guys who would be involved in things in the community. And I'm glad that Kenny Stills has decided to devote his time to something worthwhile. All right, I wanted to get to this fourth element here. We're on number pot- four now? We're at number four, believe it or not. It's flying by, Jason. wanted to get to this because this was the other comment that Steve Ross made that got a little bit of attention uh, on Twitter and other places. And again, I just don't understand why he says these things because it, it takes away from some of the good he's done in the community, whether it's helping to get the Super Bowl down here, Super Bowl 54, or, or putting his own money up for the stadium. All of that's good. And then he says something like this. He says, Miami is a great city. Miami is not a great sports town. I want to evaluate that two ways, Jason. First, uh, is he right? And second, is he is he right to say it out loud? He's totally right, man. Miami is a great city. <laughs> what about the second part? <laughs> oh, I thought that was the contrary. <laughs> that sounds like loser talk, man. That sounds like someone that's mad because people didn't want to watch when they went 6-10 and 10 and didn't score any points last year. Uh, do you think Mickey Harrison would say this isn't a good sports town? No, he would never say that. But do you think he'd even think it? I mean, when you have success, people are really on board with that here. What defines a good sports town? I mean, is that you want people going just you you tell me that if the Marlins keep losing 100 games a year, but it's sold out that now we're a good sports town. I, I don't know about that, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, and I was kind of making the argument on the radio the other day, and I actually went and looked up the numbers. In terms of the professional sports teams, and I included the, the, the Miami Hurricanes in the context of making major bowl games, our major professional sports teams have made the playoffs roughly 33% of the seasons that they played in the last 25 years, which is the era in which we've had all four major sports teams. So the Marlins have made the playoffs twice. Now, they won the World Series twice, but they've made the playoffs twice. The Dolphins, I believe, are in single digits in that period. The Panthers definitely are. And the Heat have made the playoffs 18 times in that period. So I agree with you. I don't think Mickey Arison would say it. And I think Mickey Arison, by virtue of having Pat Riley and Dwayne Wade and Shaq and LeBron, has built up an equity in the fan base where even when the team was 11-30 and 30 last year, yeah, the ratings were down and attendance was down, but it wasn't there was nobody there or that nobody mm-hmm. cared or that the entire interest just fled the premises. I think the Dolphins have very much themselves to blame for any lack of interest or any decline in business metrics because if we 
we had asked this question about the quality of Miami as a football town or as a town to support sports, I think if you had asked that question of a, from a Dolphins' point of view in 1995, you're getting an entirely different answer. How old were you in 1995? I, I was three years old. Okay. Let's do a little exercise here. What have you been watching on TV lately? I have been watching. I, I've been watching some Netflix. I've been uh, ca- okay, just make up the name of a show. Come on, First Team, a show about a uh, soccer team in Italy. I've been watching this show. Uh, have you seen the show uh, Dolphins on CBS? I've not. Oh, ask me about it. What's going on with uh, with Dolphins on CBS? Is it a cool new show? Actually, sometimes it's on Fox, but it goes back and forth. Yeah, but uh, not not a lot happens. Uh, the acting's pretty weak. Jay Cutler's the lead, um, and he's just smoking a cigarette. Has his demeanor changed at all? He's just kind of okay. You know, I don't know why I watch it every week, though. For some reason, I tune in all the time, even though (laughs) nothing about it is interesting, and the acting's bad, and the dialogue needs a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, if that's if that's a TV show, which all pro sports are basically TV shows, how can you blame people for not watching that? If this was a restaurant, if this was a TV show, if this was anything else that was a product in which customers make a decision about the quality of the product and whether or not they want to give their time and money to it, the Dolphins going 6-10 and 10 and finishing in the bottom five of the league and scoring is not something that would draw your money. It just isn't. It's not. But here's, here's why it's a pretty good fan base, because every single year, no matter what kind of season they're coming off, these people give them a chance. They're always on board. There's always a lot of excitement at the beginning of a Dolphins season. They're always like, here you go. We're back for you. Let, you know, keep us in. Keep us involved here and keep us interested. And then before you know it, they're one and four, and it's not interesting anymore. But the thing about it, Jason, is it, it's not it, – it's been so bad from a, from a Dolphin perspective that it's bled into interest in the sport as a whole. I mean, one of the things Whittingham and I have talked about here yeah, on the pod is that is that the Super Bowl ratings – in this market, were horrible. I mean, they were like, were, were they second from worst, Chris, or something yeah, yeah, like that? In terms of, now, part of that may be not wanting to watch the Patriots again, but but those, those ratings are horrible. Whereas the ratings for the NBA Finals were, I mean, Miami, Fort Lauderdale was, I think, a top five metered market, and, and without a team that even made the playoffs last year. I mean, it's the Heat didn't even make the playoffs. And people still wanted to watch LeBron. Now, maybe some of that's wistfulness for, you know, when LeBron was down here. And I understand some of that. It's been, it's been four years, though, Ethan. It has. And and so I, what it's done is it's bled into the interest in the sport as a whole. And I think what you see, too, is, and, and this probably bothers Steve Ross, and this is why he made the comment in 2015 about how the heat is not what the heat used to be, is if you when you see kids wearing jerseys down here it didn't take long for these kids to pull the Wade jersey back out of the closet that jersey was still there I mean these kids grew up with those teams with competitive interesting Miami Heat teams I mean we were talking on the pod with Jason Jackson about the Harlem Shake and the things that the Heat did during their four-year run in the Big Three they did more interesting things in a day than the Dolphins have done in a decade and so when you talk about attracting a fan base, I think this is a very good sports town for the Heat. As you said, I, I just don't think it is for the Dolphins until not only do they win, but they have to sustain winning. Because when you look at the last two times that they've won, the 11-5 and season in 2008 and then the 10-6 and season in 2016, they followed that up the next year by going 7-9 and and 6-10. and So until they're able to put two or three years together, of sustained success with players that the, that the fans believe in, that they want to wear their jerseys, which, I mean, who's going out and buying an Indomitian Sioux jersey? It's hard to get excited when the best player on the team is a defensive tackle. 
it's either going to have to be a new quarterback that captures the imagination of people down here or some kind of skill position player. And the best skill position player they've had in the past few years, they're going to let walk this offseason. And the other one, they traded for a fourth-round pick during the season. So that, to me, that sums up Ross's comment. And, and all of that equals a very cruddy product on the field. And if people aren't interested in watching that, I, I don't think it's their fault that they're not interested in something that's not interesting. And the, the other thing, too, is the four sports history goes back to 93, right? That's when the Marlins came in and the Panthers came in at around that time. So you don't have that generational aspect of it where, you know, fans across generations, like there are people who are in their 40s that live in this area that are Yankees fans because there was no baseball team to support here. And so you don't have a generational element where it's been handed down. And then if I said to you, you hand... Any major city, these three teams, right? No playoff wins in 16 years, that being the Dolphins. Two playoff appearances in 25 years, that's the Marlins, and constantly bottom payroll, and and we don't need to litigate that again. And then the Panthers don't even play in Miami. They move north. And they never make the playoffs. They made the playoffs, I think, twice in the last 16 years. There aren't too many sports towns that would look good in the midst of trying to support that. No, I mean, the ones that that might are the ones where there's really nothing else to do, maybe, especially in the winter. But like the Chicago Bulls, for example, when, uh, when Jordan left, when that group disbanded in the late 90s, and even right now when they're very bad, those games are all sold out. But then you go to the game, and it's like half full. So that's representative of a good sports town i don't know what the definition of a good sports town is that's very subjective but again it's not the people here's it's not their fault that they haven't really had much to watch when it comes to the dolphins the one part we haven't tackled yet though is that is his right to stephen ross's right to say it so i think where his perspective probably is molded is in the business metrics that he looks at in the corporate sponsorships and the sales of luxury boxes and probably the, the, the work that they have to do to sell their, their building out and the TV metrics and all that. So he is probably right in that for the business of the Dolphins, Miami is not a knock em dead you know, business. But again, part of that is earned. So if, if Ross is looking at those metrics, like you said, Mickey Harrison wouldn't be caught dead saying this. Do you believe in and And you said it earlier in terms of, I want him to keep talking because it's great for us, but his right to say it, if he has evidence that would back what he's saying, do you even think he should be saying it at all? I don't know, man. I'm kind of bored on this. What's number five? <laughs> all right, let's, all right, all right number let's, five. Jason Leisure, you've been covering both the Miami Dolphins and the Miami Heat over the course of your tenure as a professional journalist, although you're not professional enough to just entertain a conversation for 90 more seconds. What have you found as your experience in terms of comparing and contrasting the two beats that you've had? Well, I'd love to hear Ethan's thoughts on this, too, because he, he was in the middle of both. I don't really care so much what you have to say about it, Chris. But that's fair. The NBA is player driven. The brands in the NBA are LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Dwayne Wade. And the brands in the NFL are the team names and the league. It doesn't really matter who is playing for Cleveland in a game on a Thursday night against Jacksonville and whoever plays for them. If you put NFL on Thursday nights and if you put Jaguars out there, or you put Miami Dolphins or you put Chargers out there, people will watch that. Whereas if Kevin Durant goes from Oklahoma City to Golden State, a lot of people, they're Kevin Durant fans. They're not really Oklahoma City fans. They're Kevin Durant fans or they're LeBron James fans, so they follow whatever team he's on. And what that does is it opens up a, a league 
in the NBA where everything is about these guys' personalities. There's so much drama about who plays this way, who you like, who you don't like, who likes who on the court, like Westbrook and Durant feuding, and everything in the NFL is about team. So the players kind of tend to stay in line more and you know, not really speak up and not distinguish themselves in any ways. I mean, you've always heard that part of the problem is they wear helmets. You don't know what a lot of their faces look like. But, uh, you know, it extends even more to, like, how serious things are taken, I think. There are a lot of little controversies that happen in the NBA that just get kind of glossed over. I mean, we're already way past the J.R. Smith soup thing, <laughs> which made me miss covering the NBA so badly because I totally miss being in a scenario where you might wake up and find that what you're going to spend your work day on is somebody threw soup at somebody in an NBA. And more, more than anything, I'm shocked that J.R. Smith is a soup guy. I would not have expected to walk into a cafeteria and see J.R. Smith is sitting there and saying, you know, the, the consistency is just not quite right on this bisque. This isn't a proper bisque. But little things that happen in the NBA just kind of – it's just part of the story of the season. It's just what happens. You know, it's just some little drama between a couple of guys on different teams or on the same team or between a player and a coach, and then they move on. In the NBA, every, I mean, in the NFL, every single one of these things is like – catastrophic it's such a big deal if a player even hints at contradicting a coach or if uh you know a couple years ago laramie Tunsil slipped in the shower and missed the game and that wasn't allowed to be funny till like three or four weeks later around the dolphins <laughs> it is funny so all of those things kind of bother me i i don't like how rigid it is i don't like how little room there is for things to be humorous there i mean i i remember to a time like um Several years back, we're, I was covering the Heat where uh, I think we were in Atlanta or something at a shoot-around, and the question was, as it often was in those times, whether Dwayne Wade was going to play that night because of some mm-hmm. injury or whatever. And we asked Eric Spolstra, you know, and Eric Spolstra was like, you know, he's doing everything he can. He's getting rehab around the clock. He's going to do everything he can to play tonight. And then you go ask Wade, and Wade goes, no, I'm not playing. <laughs> I, I remember it. And, I mean, imagine if that happened in an NFL locker room. That'd be insane. In the NFL, you could walk in and you could see a guy with the bone sticking out of his leg. And you'd say, gee, did you, did you, uh, you look like you might have broke your leg out there. And the guy would be like, ask the head coach about injuries. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think back to, you know, one of the things that feeds that, Ethan, you know this so well, uh, is the access. And when, yep. I, when I moved over to cover the Dolphins, my dad lives in Illinois and he loves the NFL. He follows the NFL. He did not know who Ryan Tannehill was. And, I, and that's reasonable, mm-hmm. I think. If you don't live down here, you might not know who Ryan Tannehill is, even if you like football, because they're not on TV a lot. You know, you're probably not a lot of people have been picking him on their fantasy teams. Ryan Tannehill, some guy that could walk through a mall in most places in this country unrecognized, you're going to get him for 10 minutes in a press conference-type setting on Wednesdays, and you're going to get him for 10 minutes in a press conference-type setting on Sundays after games. Whereas mm-hmm. LeBron James is a global celebrity. In any country, he would be recognized. And you can have uh, you, you talk to him twice a day just in the structured access of the league. Not to men- mention the little side conversations you might have with him after a shoot around or in the locker room. You get so much more of a chance to build relationships with these guys. And it's not about becoming their friends because that's not really how this works. But once you establish some kind of relationship with these people, they're much more willing to open up to you and tell you their stories and tell you the things that are interesting about them. And you can have challenging relationships with them. I mean, challenging interviews with them. I mean, I remember there, there have been times where I've, I had interviews where I challenged Dwayne Wade on things about his game. And we had good, productive conversations about that that I was able to then kind of 
turn into something that people could read and you understand a little bit better why Dwayne Wade might struggle at this or that. Whereas Jay Culler is here last year. He makes no effort whatsoever, which like a lot of players, to build relationships with you. And so then when you want to challenge him on something and try to get to the bottom of like, hey, why do you do this? What is it mm-hmm. about you that makes you struggle this way? He, he gets immediately defensive and is not going to engage in the conversation with you. Everything about the NFL feeds you not getting to know these players better, and everything about the NBA feeds you getting to know them better. And I think there's a large part of our culture that is much more interested in the latter. Well, I, I agree with that, Jason. And I can remember how many conversations I had with LeBron or Dwayne just walking to the bus after a shoot around, <laughs> you know, about not about nothing. But I think the other thing you that get arrested. You tried to talk to Indomitian Sue on the way back to any bus. <laughs> <laughs> you get run over by the bus. Actually, uh, I, you know what? What's what I think it does too, Jason, that gets overlooked is we talk about these players being more uh, sort of sure of themselves and finding their voices in the NBA and being personalities. And I never even thought of it that way. But I think some of it does come down to the different interactions they have with the media as opposed to the interactions that the NFL players have. Uh, the fact that NBA players are forced, even the, you know, arguably the greatest player of all time or certainly somebody who's going to be considered to be in the top three to five players of all time, doing – a presser, you know, every day after shoot around and then every day after the game and then available, you know, to talk to reporters about other topics. There were so many times that I found I sort of sensed that LeBron was crafting how he was going to feel about an issue based on the conversations that he was having sort of on the side with reporters. Um, I remember being in Atlanta right after the uh, Seahawks and 49ers played in the NFC championship game. And there was nobody around LeBron before the game, and I was just talking to him about, you know, he had, and he watched the NFC Championship game, and he had, and we started talking about Richard Sherman and the fact that Richard Sherman was being called a thug out there on social media, you know, because of the press conference that he or the the on-field interview that he had after the game, and. I could sense like LeBron was formulating the way he was going to uh, attack this. And he says to me, he says, how can you be a thug if you went to Stanford? And I'm like, right, that makes some sense. And then the next day he tweeted that, that exact same thing that he, you know, had come up with in the conversation that we were having. And again, I got the sense that these conversations, these interactions that NBA players have on a common basis with reporters about things that sometimes have nothing to do with the game end up shaping some of the way that they feel about certain issues, and then they go out with these issues as sort of their own platform. So I, I do think it plays into that, and I think that's a, a big reason, with something we talked about earlier, about why the NBA has gained on the NFL, because these players are brands, they're personalities, they have their own voices, and the NFL players don't. And you mentioned it. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has been the quarterback in Miami now for, what, six years? I don't know that any, anybody knows anything about him other than – his wife and the fact he played that played wide she... receiver in college. Have you heard that? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that one, and yeah, and, and, and that his wife had a loaded. What? No, I don't know if it was loaded or not, but had a what had a uh, what was it? A rifle in the in the car. But uh, I, I think that's I think people know more about his wife than they know about him at this stage. And again, we're six years into it, so I, I think that is a big big difference. The culture of the NBA is for these guys to be able to speak up. They use their platforms extremely well, whether it's through the media, through social media through wearing that they wore the I can't breathe t-shirts they reacted viscerally around the league to the Donald Sterling controversy I believe if I remember right teams are wearing their their warm-ups inside out as kind of a protest to that the NBA hasn't had a kneeling problem and probably won't because those guys don't need to kneel to get their point across LeBron James would have so many other ways to express whatever he wants to express and be recognized and have it reach people without kneeling they don't need to kneel on that league and 
the social media presence that the league has, I think we get wrapped up into this world where we think Twitter is everything, and it's really not. But the NBA is killing it on Twitter over the last 10 years compared to the NFL. When you look at Dwayne Wade, for example, Dwayne Wade, I believe, has like 8 million followers. Mm-hmm. And in the NFL, Cam Newton, who is probably someone of similar status, has like 1 million. I mean, there's so many different ways for the NBA players to express themselves. Their league encourages them to express themselves and take stances. And their audience is younger, more liberal, I guess you want to say, or more mixed as far as political views and racial makeup of the NBA. Makes those guys a lot more free and a lot more encouraged to speak up, to share their opinions on things. And that's why they haven't had a kneeling issue. Before we let you go, Jason, you've made it through this thing successfully, so congratulations. I, want, I wanted to ask you about some of your favorite personalities that you've covered on the two teams. I, I figured that uh, Chris Anderson and, and, uh, the, and, and the Jupiter juggernaut uh, have to be two <laughs> of those, although I'm not quite sure that the Jupiter juggernaut's personality quite matches up with the Birdman's. Yeah, two peas in a pod there. Um, all the favorite personalities I've dealt with probably – Majority of them have been over in basketball, I believe. You think about Chris Anderson toward the end of his time with the Heat was probably the 13th guy on the bench. I mean, whatever the equivalent of that is for the Dolphins, the 50th guy on their roster or whatever is just far less interesting and recognizable and, and you know, someone that people want to hear from. But I really have enjoyed covering Jarvis Landry because he's so raw, especially after games. He's pretty straightforward i enjoy like michael thomas and kenny stills some more uh you know interesting guys that speak up on the dolphins but going back to basketball i mean it'd have to be like Dwayne wade chris bosh chris anderson some of the guys toward the end of the time i was there like gordon Dragic, and even hassan whiteside as goofy as he was was a lot of fun i like gerald green too i like a lot of the guys that uh that don't really kind of conform to what everyone expects from them gerald green was a lot of fun yeah, and that and that that's that tends to be who you gravitate towards. You like telling their stories because uh, yeah, you, you like to have a bit of fun around this. Kind of like how I've had a bit of fun with me not at all talking during this conversation because apparently that's been I, fun I, for me. I, I'm 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 not a I'm not a journalist of Jason Leisure's bona fides. You have no chops. No chops, and uh, eventually you can teach me your ways. All right, Jason, uh, appreciate you joining us and tolerating this. You can read his coverage at Jason Leisure. Appreciate your time, sir. Thanks. I guess. Jason joining us for the pod. You can check it out on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Google Play. That's where you hit subscribe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.